The Youthscape Podcast. Hi and welcome to the Youthscape Podcast. My name is Rachel Gardner. Yes, my name is Martin Saunders. And this is the podcast where we like to pick apart and deconstruct and rebuild and think about and wrestle all kinds of big things in youth ministry land. It's very intellectual. It's highly intelligent. Two very intelligent people. Highly intelligent. I haven't got any lipstick on my teeth. No, and I've not dribbled once today. Oh, fantastic. Martin, how are you doing though, friend? First of all, checking in with you. I'm doing great. Thanks very much. Awesome. Yeah. Tell you a little battle I'm facing in my... uh, my teenager at the moment can we do that your teenager as in your young person i've got a teenager your, in, your, in your family uh, that i own my teenager <laughs> yes no my son yes i'll tell you what the, the big the big thing Will now he is mind that you're showing oh, i don't care <laughs> no he won't mind uh he he wants to be a youtuber oh and here's a question for you okay this is actually i'm looking for parenting Gen- advice okay. uh he wants to be a youtuber and i think he might have a bit of talent for it because he's got you know it's got presenting heritage in his blood, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know he's a good-looking lad. Yeah, as you know, the genes might suggest. <laughs> and so Joe, he's got a lot. He's got a lot going for him. Um, but I th- I think there's a you know we we want to encourage young people. We do this through share here at Youthscape. We want to encourage young people to use YouTube YouTube mm-hmm. in a positive way, to uh, you know talk about their faith and, mm, and, definitely. and all that sort of stuff. But there's also that worry that you might expose yourself. You know, maybe too early, mm-hmm. um, and and to the brutal world of the internet and the sort of the mm. nasty comments that people might give. I don't know if you've seen the sequel to Wreck It Ralph, but starts mm. well for Ralph, but it goes downhill quickly when the comments hit. And I'm wondering whether you know, do I do I let Joel loose on YouTube yet, or do I hold him back? Does he want to talk about his faith? Is that what he wants? No, to do? he wants to co-host a uh, a video channel with me. Where we talk about old computer games. It's a very cool idea. What? So what, why, why are you second guessing this? This sounds brilliant. Oh, I just, yeah, because I just think 13 is a bit young. Yeah, but you're with him, aren't you? I am with him. So, I mean, and, and, and actually, by the time he's 15, he won't want to do it with you. That's right. This is your window of oh. if you want to really be controlled, I mean, involved in his life. Very in good. But, what, but, but isn't this kind of in full view of all people? It is in full view well, of all people. That's a bit people. exposed. What if, I do, what if I make a joke? Yeah. That we then don't edit out because we know that might happen, and then he gets you know brutally bullied for it. So basically, he's give you some counselling, don't we? Joel is fine. Joel, Joel is fine. It's, just, it's me I'm worried about. No, it is interesting, isn't it? But actually? genuinely, yeah, yeah. is is yeah. is there an age which is you know too young where you'd say yeah. to young people, don't get, don't put yourselves out there, or actually, do you just say this is the generation that curates, mm. creates, collaborates? Um, yeah. We just got to let him get on with it. And and is is it okay anymore to say? Will, will it work anymore to say don't do it? Isn't it better to say, great, this is the interest that you're showing, so we're gonna we're gonna sort of phase up to something, mm. and actually this is the moment for because basically he wants to do it with you. That's that's amazing, isn't it? it? And and I think um, it is it is tough though. If my daughter, <laughs> she's seven, I can imagine her wanting to do a YouTube channel. I'm like no, not doing anything. I mean, maybe not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not ever. Oh. But it, no, it's a good point though, isn't it? We want to release our young people to, to be creating really positive content, to be leaders. And we keep saying that. And then when yeah. it's your own kids, you're like, well, maybe not you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't, but, don't you tell your friends about Jesus. They might, they might be cheeky to you. Anyway, yes. keeping the intellectual level of, <laughs> of the podcast It's straining. I can feel it just ground. lowering. I was reading my copy of The Guardian. Is that what it's called? I don't the clever one the da- is that the Daily Guardian the, the, da- the one with the um, the, the the one that yeah 
The Guardian. Yeah. I was reading The Guardian the other day, and uh, there were some uh, books in it. You know, <laughs> there were some things about books, and also awesome. some uh, news from a different part of the world, India, Fantastic. I think. Fantastic. It was really good. Fantastic. And I learned a lot about the different books that you can read. Brilliant. So we might have some listeners tuning into this that don't normally listen to us at all, thinking, what? What, what have we come to? Genuinely, why are you listening? I do want to, because we have a fantastic guest today. And yes. I'm really excited this guy said yes to coming on our podcast, mainly because he probably has no idea who we are. No. <laughs> Just, we I would managed, imagine so. managed to bamboozle him into sitting on the other end of a Skype conversation. Had a really, really good chat. But um, this guy is from Nomad Podcast. And Nomad has been a podcast around for about 10 years, by Tim Nash and really I think really vulnerably and with real authenticity has said I'm going on a journey of deconstructing my faith letting it all fall to the ground and working out what is the kernel that that remains behind is it worth salvaging and how can I rebuild faith so they use words like deconstruction evolution of faith and journey of faith and and each week there's a different guest interview very similar to us actually um but really listening back to the um the library of podcasts just just listening to the, the presenters saying i'm wrestling with this i grew up in a church that said it's this way or the highway and there's a lot of pain and abuse and control that came from that and and can i be a christian in a different way can i explore faith in a different way and i guess within youth ministry partly as i listened to the nomad podcast partly when yeah that's right you got you gotta you gotta let this stuff fall to the ground you've got to ask the big searching questions you, you we have to encourage young people to jo- not just take things because they've heard someone on a platform say it but i wonder how actively we help young people really agitate and ask big questions of their faith so i'm going to ask you a question that they always ask oh, no. their podcast because guests. you know i'm worried about this you, what you know i'm intimidated no not at all i'm intimidated You're in a safe space no one's listening um oh, one listener is listening um what was the faith that you grew up with because you became oh. a christian as a teenager, yeah, not not as a kid. So, what what was the faith that you were adopted into, mm. and what do you remember any moments where you had to actively say, no, that I, that is not what I believe, or that's not why I'm gonna I'm not gonna take that practice, or I'm that that what you've just done and what you've just said, yeah, no, that doesn't sit right with me. Do you remember those moments? Yeah, well, I think we've talked about some of this stuff before, but um, so I had quite a good experience of growing up in a Baptist church very supportive environment great leadership actually they were quite conservative like probably more slightly more conservative than i would probably position myself now i wasn't really aware of it at the time Mm. but really loving Mm. uh place to grow up so um so i have only good things to say about the church that i grew up in but where i did notice that stuff is when i went off to um conferences and events Mm. and uh, we went off to things and they would do kind of heavy-handed youth streams you've all sat in them we may have even spoken in them um, where they talk about particularly the issues of sex and relationships and I think growing up in the 90s there was a it was it was when the church was still absolutely obsessed with Mm. um, sex and any you know anything beyond a kiss and a cuddle Mm. You know, was um, was deemed you know sinful, shameful, essentially you know one step from losing your salvation. Yeah. And I did sit in some pretty damaging uh, yeah. kind of stuff, and I write about this in my book. Yeah, um, good. Actually, and talk about uh, the the whole soul ties yeah. concept. Oh, this this gosh, idea yes. of that you when you have a, a sexual encounter with someone, mm. your your souls mm. are tied together, as it says in 
you know, seven Timothy or somewhere, <laughs> you know, it's clearly not in the Bible. Mm. Um, and yet this stuff was kind of preached from, from stages and uh, wasn't just around sex and relationships. It was also... All sorts of behaviour stuff. Behaviour yeah. stuff, lifestyle stuff, mm. you know, engaging with film, television, just stuff that made you feel shameful and that, that was mm. somehow reduced who you could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I, I had to undo a bit of that probably mm. when I went to university and, and, and after that. Um, but that wasn't my church's fault, but they did take me to the events, mm. so they have to take a little bit of responsibility. In fact, that's an interesting point. Yes. Because we do we do have to really bear responsibility for where what, what we expose our, yes. our teenagers to when we take them to conferences and events, yes. actually. Because, you know, you, you, you really have to trust yes. um, the place you're taking young people. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that was my experience. I was just thinking about um, my own journey, and I'm a little bit like you. I, I grew up in a Christian family that's different to you, but I it was largely well, very, very positive. And again, probably not a church I'd particularly want to go to now as an adult. I don't think I think I'd really struggle in that setting, but loving and compassionate, and really in the days when people weren't so time poor. So your church was everything. It was your community, um, and I. But for me, the deconstruction. The, the difficulty for me was not that I had bad experiences or a bad theology that was loaded on me, but where I had to say to loving parents or loving elders, as in older people, um, you've not hurt me, but I cannot agree with mm. what you are mm. holding to. Mm. Mm. And that's, that is equally as difficult. Mm. It's not, it might not feel as traumatic or as life-wrenching or I can never go back to that church, I can never talk to that person again. But that, I think that's the kind of the pain of the, the intergenerational stuff where you're like, is it just that we're slightly more enlightened? Is that what it is? Or do we have a, a, a new, is it a different revelation? Like, are we, are we more aware of what the Spirit's really saying? Or are we, are we, is this cultural assimilation? Or is this, and that's what's quite tricky, I think. Because if you can say, well, it was all them giving me bad theology, it's all their fault. In a way, you can kind of, you can kind of start from scratch. When you're like, well, I'm not sure why, why it is I feel so keenly different to you. When I can see that the Spirit of God is at work in your life, mm. and there's great fruit of, of your faith in your life but on that issue or in that approach I just, I, that's toxic you know it's really tough isn't it so it how do we do this well in a way that doesn't shut the door on the past as if there's nothing redeemable so it's a tough one so discourse is yeah. really important it's essential yeah, yeah I don't know what the word discourse means I just threw that's it what in we're to doing. seem intellectual I, I read it in the Guardian you read it in the Guardian in one of the books one of those um, uh, so this is a good moment yeah. to bring in the interview yeah yeah because that's what they do brilliant discourse every week fantastic so this is Rachel Gardner meets David Benjamin Blower Break Your Skate Podcast brilliant oh Nick I am so delighted that you've joined us um, for Youth Skate Podcast thank you so much for your time oh, it's a pleasure thanks for having me now, in the background, I have a little one-year-old sat in a box um, playing with a Barbie car. Nick, can you top that? What have you got in your office right now, at your feet, while you're doing this podcast? I, I am David rather than Nick. Uh, so, I don't know. I think you should keep that in personally, but you might, you might end up editing it out. I don't know. I've been doing this all morning. I've been having to ring people up and say, I've just sent you an email with completely the wrong name. Obviously, there's something in the air in North London today. So, David, welcome to the podcast. But my question still stands. My child now has got doctor's equipment on his head. So what have you got in your office to beat that? I am, oh, I'm surrounded by 
um, musical junk and equipment and um, books, really. It's a very bookish and musical sort of room. So microphones, stands. And, and a lack of curtain paraphernalia behind you, I can see. So you're not a fabrics boy, are you? You're a books and, books and stuff boy. Books and stuff boy, yeah. I've also got, an, I've also got um, like an, a vintage uh, printing press machine. Oh, a printing press machine. Very good. Oh, I love it. Podcast, so no one else can see it, but there you go. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Oh, it's great. It's lovely. I love it. Awesome. So tell me, tell me a little bit about who you are before we get on to talking about the Nomad podcast, um, which some listeners might have heard, some haven't. You guys need to all start listening. It's amazing. But tell me a little bit about you. So you're a musician, you're a theologian, you're a writer, you're a thinker. Anything else you want to chuck into the mix? No, that's about it, really. I'm, um, I've been... Uh, I've always made music, and that's always been a central part of what I've uh, what I've done. It's 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 become uh, more so. So I kind of uh, play people's lounges and bring sort of philosophical and theological folk into communities that um, hopefully provoke helpful um, discussions and, and questions and uh, and that kind of thing. I host theological spaces and theological discussions. Um, yeah, I, I write um, and I, uh, I sit in my community baking bread and making friends. This sounds really idyllic. And I guess there's probably common threads that, that go through all of those. I mean, could you be a theologian without being a musician? Or if we separate those things off, would you cease to be oh, a... That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, the, theology so often happens for me in, in, an, um, in a musical um, way. I, I, I feel very... Um, um, well, it's a strange time when I, the, the things that I love, I get to sort of roll them up into a big ball and 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 bake one one loaf out of it. You wow. know, theology, music, writing, uh, all these all these things. So yeah, they all, they all work together. It's a Brilliant! Place. That's that is that is so beautiful. Really wonderful. Well, my lovely husband has returned. So whether we keep this in the podcast or not, I don't know. Um, yeah, this is this is David James. Just come and say quick hello to David from Nomad. We're doing the recording. Hey, David. Look, look he's, he's a priest. Look. He's a man of the cloth. He's a man of the cloth. Yeah. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> right. We're already recording, so I thought we'd just keep going. Are you could just yeah, distract yeah, yeah. the child. <laughs> Thank you. He's having fun there. Um, yeah, James was doing some assemblies this morning. Yeah. Local school. Very good. Um, so Nomad, the podcast, in a way that's a beautiful introduction to Nomad because I, I've been tuning in to listen a little bit so I could ask you some vaguely intelligent sounding questions. But what I love about Nomad is that you, you create, it's all part of the same picture. So you have beautiful music that you guys have written, you have fascinating interviews, you have honest reflections afterwards. What, why did you guys start Nomad? What was it you were hoping to do? Well, I wasn't there when Nomad began, but it, it is a really interesting um, story because it, it began, I mean, we just had our 10th anniversary episode. So, um, so Nomad began a decade ago. And at that point, I the exciting thing is that, no, I mean, no one knew what the word podcast meant, really. <laughs> um, so it's probably like that, that thing where it's the beginning of a new, a new form of, of media. Um, which is unusual, isn't it, for people of faith to be kind of at the cutting edge of a new form of media. Yeah, and of course, when it happens, it's a total accident. It wasn't, you know, through clever forethought or, or, or anything like that, or savvy. It was just, 
Um, I, I don't know why it happened, but there you go. I think Tim has a sort of slightly charismatic story about how it all began. Um, but I, I mean, the weird thing is that they decided to, he and um, a handful of friends decided to start a podcast and they thought, well, who should we interview first? Let's interview um, Tom Wright. Um, so they, they popped him an email and he said, yeah, all right. And, you know, they just interviewed him over the phone for, um, for 20 minutes. But I mean, you know, they, they were nothing back, back then. Um, and, when and you start point, with Tom Wright, my goodness, like you, you're just going up to the to stratosphere after that, aren't you? Yeah, so, I mean, you can't sorry, do that now. If you, I mean, you can't just, call, you know, call anybody up and have a podcast with them now, but you could back then. So it got off to a good start and it's gone on since then, really. And you, how would you go about defining who it is that you look for to interview? Well, who, what are the voices that you're looking for? Oh, we are haphazardly feeling it out. We're not, um, um, there isn't a plan, you know, we're, we're just responding to what's going on in ourselves, what's going on in you know, the conversations we're having with others, what people are talking about and what's puzzling them and what they're, the conversations they're missing and, um, and just feeling it out as, <laughs> as we go along. And, you know, often we're sort of, um, realizing, oh, we haven't um, interviewed um, anyone about this, or we haven't interviewed um, that kind of person uh, ever, or you know, for a year yeah. or something. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. always a case of readdressing what you're doing and working out what, what are we yeah. missing. Where are we falling into a kind of uh, a little cul-de-sac? You know? Wow. And I think just listening to a few episodes, I think. I really hear that, that spontaneity of what's resonating with you now, what's shining for you. And you guys kind of mine that, don't you? And then this podcast is almost birthed out of all of that. Um, but there are definite themes, aren't there? And there are phrases that you use continually, which I'd like to chat with you about. And the, the phrases are, well, you're not sure whether you're talking about faith deconstruction or faith evolution. I quite like the play between the two words. Is your faith evolving? How much of it needs to be broken down? Is what you're seeing a destruction or a rebirth? Would you say that that is one of the core things that holds us together? It's like that, that desire to make sure that we don't just take something wholesale, but we really investigate our faith. We prize it open. We ask big questions about why we believe what we believe. Oh yeah, I, I think that that's um, just sort of happening. Um, it's like we're in a moment of history where we're really taking everything apart and thinking, um, how does it how does it work? Why does it work that way? Why did it go badly that time? You know, mm -hmm. um, we are in a sort of place, uh, a, a huge paradigm shift where it's become sort of necessary to um, rethink everything. But I mean, there are interesting um, debates and discussions around that language that we've been having deconstruction a lot of people talk about their faith deconstruction but then a lot of people don't really like that term i think for a lot of people it gets them into uh it's quite a um like people who are more conservative feel quite threatened by the term because they feel like you're deconstructing their their castle do you know what i mean um and it feels feels almost aggressive and you don't necessarily want to uh you don't necessarily mean it like that do you no and then i think a lot of people realize but really, it's not like they're actively taking apart their faith. It's that they're they're learning new things and they're, they're in a very constructive phase. And deconstruction, 
um, almost happens along the way without you really noticing it. You just find that you, you, your understanding has developed, I suppose. That's mm. why we get to e you know, face evolution and that kind of thing. Mm. So there's those two processes going on at once, I think. I'd be intrigued to know whether the average youth worker in a church setting today would that phrase deconstruction would be a trigger for because I think one of the things I love a lot about youth workers whichever church background they come from is that we we know that that faith is an evolving thing and it it has to go through a searching phase which probably for most of us have you know extends the length of our lives and, and I think that's possibly a phrase that I get quite encouraged that more youth workers whatever the backgrounds are positively engaging in helping young people be analytical and critical and ask big questions about faith. But what's quite interesting about the podcast is that often as interviewers, you reflect on what's been said and often you share stories of your own teenage years about how faith was presented wholesale, packaged, and it felt like impenetrable. And is that a theme that comes across for all of you, that actually your adolescence was a time when people could have been saying, wrestle with this, ask big questions, shake it up. But actually we were all, I think I'm probably a similar age to you guys. We, we grew up in a church that was really fragile around that and just didn't want big questions asked is that something that you that crops up a lot for you oh definitely yeah and it's a story that we hear a lot as as well i mean in a way it almost feels like the common theme for why people um move you know move away from where they were is, is because where they were was such a closed system and perhaps a controlling system um, I suppose many of us have grown up in a, in a place where whether it was subtle or whether it was very overt um, we were given the sense that well here are the boundaries and outside of that is uh, is um, darkness and chaos and dreadfulness um, so yeah people like faith and and the church or I mean had a kind of Noah's Ark sort of metaphor to it um, for a lot of us I think that um well, here's this ark of salvation, and if you're in, you're good, and everything outside is is this terrible flood. Um, and of course, you just, you know, you end up in a place where your faith is about being locked locked in a room <laughs> with a bunch of people, and where you're not allowed to see things differently. Um, and it's just inevitable, I think. Um, the world, the all, you know, the all things that God has made is so wondrous and exciting, and uh, and in movement and and beautiful and worthy of love you can't stay locked in this room that makes you afraid of it um so, so i think that's um there's, there's just a huge cultural reaction against that at the moment i think that's a good thing what would you say that you saw in your own teenage years or you see or you hear of now where that is still reinforced like how how do church communities knowingly or unknowingly present that arc mentality what would you say are some of the, the key things that are done or said or the practices that reinforce you're in tight and it's locked down or you're absolutely outside how how is that communicated oh maybe um maybe two, two realms spring to mind one is a realm of words and the other is a realm of places um so um I mean, we, we, we're just sort of coming out of the, the modern era when the truth is all described in words. And so faith is all like um, a set of propositions described in words. And, um, you know, we have a list of statements. And if you can tick them all, then 
um, then you're you're good kind of thing. So those those words, those statements of faith or whatever, they, they act sort of like um, um, a boundary. Um, and, and often those, I mean, they can be taught. That information is kind of banked into into people so that they uh, they grasp these things. Um, uh, but they become there's a point where they're, they're not really. Um, it's dangerous to ask too many questions or to feel out or to feel out. Well, what do the words really mean? Does it mean this or does it mean that? And uh, and so on. So so one is sort of um, boundaries of words. And I think again, people are are feeling like well, following Jesus has to be about more than just words. You know, um, uh, the kingdom is um is a thing is about power, not talk, as Paul says. Um, this has to be to do with one's way of being in the world and one's um, love of everything that God's made and one's connection to uh, to all things. Um, so there's there's that boundary of words. I think people are really needing the freedom to to talk about what we mean when we talk about things i mean the other is the boundary of of the the place the church the building the place you go on a sunday i guess that um that mentality of well we need to get people in here uh, because again this is the this is the you know the noah's ark of salvation and the flood of dreadfulness we need to get people um uh, into into this place and to sort of be out of the place is uh, is a dangerous thing which isn't really a good comparison with that originary idea of ecclesia that you have in the new testament which was the gathering of citizens to discuss the matters of the city it was it was all about everything around you it wasn't it wasn't this boundary of safety that you had to stay in or die kind of thing so yeah i think those are the two sort of um ways that boundaries are sort of kept and that we that we find ourselves you know trying to trying to hem people in and hold on to them mm-hmm. i mean i heard um a um a, a great christian leader who i have all the respect in the world for talking about young people in the church and he was talking about um here's how we keep them here's how we get them and keep them and i i kind of get what he means but the the language in in a way that anxious gripping onto people like you know people like a bar of soap the, whole, the more you sort of desperately trying to contrive the world to keep people in the more they they have to go out and see what whatever's going on out there don't they oh i totally agree i, I remember listening to gerald kelly who actually is a really well-known name within um the broadly evangelical church and youth ministry but I remember him saying recently, don't, it's not about drawing young people into the safety of the church subculture. It's about releasing them into the dangerous adventure of discipleship. And each new generation has to be let out, let loose, be up, up, up in front, kind of forging the way. And I think that's, that's so powerful. It's also terrifying as youth leaders, I think, because we have a church structure around us, an institution or a governance or the parents or the leadership who also don't know what it means to raise young people. And so are looking often to the youth worker as the one that has all the answers, but also as the one with the magic bullet that can somehow keep the young people emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically safe. But actually everything in us says, we want to keep young people emotionally safe. Of course we do, but we also want to unleash them into the danger of living for Jesus in a world that is so struggling and broken. Um, so what, what would be, from your perspective, some practices that that youth workers do when they're really passionate about 
encouraging young people to, to reach out and, and, and touch these all this all things that you're talking about what would be some of the things that you'd see you'd, you'd want to see youth workers doing or to grab hold of mm. well um the, the most inspiring youth worker in my world is my my brother steve um and he does um detached youth work in scarborough wow um and i i love um you know i'm, I'm always asking him so many questions about this and the theological thinking behind this and the what it looks like like on the street so i mean of course that his organization is not affiliated it's a christian organization it's not affiliated to any one particular church um and obviously not to any building they spend time out and about um on the streets of scarborough being where young people are um and i i i love that you know that immediately sort of um yeah and they're not they're not going out to try and bring them into a building either do you know what i mean they're just going out to be in those liminal places where the, where the, the young people uh, are um so i i'm really enthusiastic about that um spending spending time out there and, and being salt night um out there um i think the other thing i am interested in uh, it's a question of posture it's about that kind of shoulder to shoulder looking at the world with a person um mm -hmm. posture rather than that head to head banking information uh, into a into a um person kind of posture I guess we're, um, I mean, maybe religious cultures have gone from a place where the job of ministers and youth workers and theologians was to give people answers. And then we're starting to think, oh, maybe our job is to give people questions. Maybe it's a bit too presumptive. You know, we've seen how many duff answers we've given. Maybe we need to sort of ask good questions, give people good questions to go and with and I, I think that's an important thing to do but I, I almost want to go one step further and work out and listen to uh listen to young people and hear what their what the questions that are perplexing them are not so i can give them answers but just because they've probably got better questions than i have you know they're closer to the future than i am um in many ways so i mean all these are ways in in a way of of relinquishing our position of power i think aren't they not we're not trying to get people into our fortress where we feel feel powerful uh, we're not trying to give people our answers to make them extensions of ourselves we're realizing actually that um it, the young people of today are the ones who are going to have to address future that's more unstable than um than the world i've lived in and um their intuitions about the questions are, are um you know quite possibly going to be better than mine that's an incredibly generous posture as well isn't it to say we want to hear your questions knowing full well that we won't have the answers because we're so determined to help you ask the right questions that we will allow ourselves to be vulnerable and to not know anything. And I think that's, you're up, that's a great challenge. That's a great, because we often feel that if we've done study or we've, we've been paid for a job or that somehow we need to turf out the goods. <laughs> like why else are we here? So that's a very, that's a very kind and generous posture. So you, you used a lovely phrase, David, that you, 
you're a musician, you're a writer, you're a theological thinker, and you hang out within your community. You said something like that. Um, so the community that you hang out with, or communities like the ones that, that you and your family are part of, what role would youth ministry look like? Would you even use terms like that? Or is it so intergenerational that actually it's irrelevant the age and stage of a person? This is just a kind of a community where we all connect. What, what would youth ministry look like in that setting? Um, oh, that's a great question. I, I think, um, I really feel um, grieved, actually, by the um, almost the ghettoization of young people, and and the way that generations have sort of been very um, divided up from each other. We, we've all become, you know, different um, demographics and markets and interest groups, haven't we? Um, and those spaces of intergenerational friendship are. Um, are pretty sparse um, so I, I mean youth work as an intentional um, response to that lack of intergenerational friendship is so vital I think people doing this on purpose because you just you don't connect with the other unless you tell you know unless you set yourself up for it do, do you um, so I, th I think that's the um, such a pivotal task and and then and then the job of the youth worker becomes like this um this person subverting all those boundaries and blurring all those lines between generations and, and working out how um you know how those connections that are that have become taboo and weird um can happen they become kind of trickster figures you know mixing all those things up don't you Years ago, um, my husband Jason, who I always get comments, I always mention him every podcast, but he wrote a book called Mend the Gap and initially he wanted to call it the death of the youth worker. <laughs> we thought he probably wouldn't sell it to any youth workers if you call it the death of the youth worker. That's a brilliant title. <laughs> but it's that exact point that, that the ghettoization of youth ministry and the, we employ the experts as if no one else can communicate and he said that the, the family model, the grandparent can talk to the grandkid. They haven't got to go on a training course to talk to their grandchild. <laughs> they just talk to them because they're in the family. And I think I'm seeing that the wake up of that in youth ministry all around the denom denominations now, partly out of necessity, because actually lots of churches can't afford to employ a full time worker. Um, and there's challenge around those that can often don't treat the youth worker particularly brilliantly. So there's lots of issues around that. But there's a real kind of move towards saying, actually, if we genuinely believe that, the church can be good news for all ages and can be a family, a safe space where we can become all emotively, then how might that change youth ministry? Um, and how can we make sure it's not just for a few young people within our ghetto community either? How could it be outward looking and, and um, inclusive of the area? That's, that's beautiful challenges, that's great. Mm. So uh, I feel that this interview is coming to an end and I feel I've not really asked you any killer, clever questions yet, David. So I'm going to ask you this, if you, if you could come and deliver a seminar to youth workers, what, what would you want to do it on? <laughs> what would you want to talk to us about? What would be your, your kind of top tip for us as leaders around our own evolution of our faith, our own understanding? What would oh, I'd be far too terrified to, to do that. I mean, um, I, I, I would love to spend time listening to... Um, uh, whether I have anything constructive to, 
to speak to you for work as a bat is, a, is another question. Well, that's a beautiful thought, isn't it? A seminar where you say, actually, I'm just going to listen to you. That, I think we'd love that. That is awesome. Anything you want to say before we finish the interview, David? Go for it. This is your moment to plug away. Go, go, go. Watch out for my new record. I've got a new record that's going to come out. It's, it's, it's coming out in April, I think. Brilliant. So it's way off, unless this podcast comes out nearer than, than, than now. Uh, but it's all about ecological crisis and um, facing up to an uncertain future um, that actually more young people are going to have to deal with um, than, than we older people. So how, um, we get, how can we get hold of that? Will that be on iTunes, Spotify, podcast, whatever it be? It'll be on yeah, Bandcamp and Spotify and iTunes, and you can you can find out um, uh, more by following the, my Facebook page and and all that shenanigans. Brilliant. So, and your name is David Blur, B L O W E R. Yes, David Benjamin Blur. I I make use of the middle name. Good. It's a strong middle name, isn't it? Well, we've all got them. Well, not all of us, but lots of us got a middle name. You've got to do something with them. You can't just leave them in the, in the sock drawer all your life. And also them. parents often sneakily hide a bit of a weird name as the middle one, but your parents didn't. That's a strong middle name. You're not Nick. You're David Benjamin Blower. Thank you so much. David, the sun is pouring in through your curtainless window in Birmingham, and it's doing the same in London. So it's been so wonderful to chat with you and to just to hear really what is shining for you and for the Nomads podcast team as you celebrate 10 years. It's incredible. Um, so more power to your bow, more, more strength, more bread in the oven and all the rest of it. And thank you so much for giving us your time today and just sharing some beautiful thoughts for us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. The Youthscape Podcast. So that was a, a masterclass in interviewing, wasn't it? Because, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't even get his name right. <laughs> I mean... I know! So, oh, I am Brenda Gardner. Yes. yes. Um, can, I, can I be a bit vulnerable with you yes, for a minute? Yes, of course. So, so you are, you know, uh, you've been raving about the Nomad co- uh, podcast for a while to me. Because it was a surprise to me, that's why. Yes. So, you know, I think we've done the ad successfully okay. to say... <laughs> Brilliant. Listen to the Nomad podcast. I approaching the recording of this one felt a little bit vulnerable because I I don't quite I don't feel smart enough sometimes. So I read some of the stuff that people like the think tanks, you know, the think oh, tanks yes. like Theos and that. Yes. There's that, that wonderful uh, Elizabeth Oldfield yes. who, oh, Planet Brain. who we we interviewed on mm. on the podcast. But I'll be honest, I feel slightly like I, I just wonder if any of the listeners identify with me at this point mm. and just feel like a bit thick. Mm. Like I. I love that this stuff exists, but I feel intimidated by it because I just can't, I can't engage. I don't think I am a very, you know, I don't think I'm, and I do think I'm intelligent, mm. but I don't think I'm an intellectual, I'm able to engage with this stuff. And I, and I wonder what that's all about. Like, is that just because I'm a practitioner and I just get thrown, I throw myself into that? Or, or is there something to do with communication on the other side where people need to stop mm. using long words? What do you think? Well, what I think, Martin, is... Well, I would think... I'm, I'm not going to speak for David and Tim and um, Jemima, but I don't think they'd call themselves intellectuals, but they definitely are very much being honest about their own journey and asking big questions. And they interview massive planet-brain yeah. guests. 
Really um, smart people. Really smart people. And they do their homework. I mean, it's, it's not you and me going, hello, hello, little kettle, can I chat to you? They really ask me questions. But what they do, which is what, what you do, is they ask the right questions. And I think that's, in my head, the best intelligence is the people that can ask the right questions. Because what's the point of being a highbrow academic if you're studying stuff and making assumptions about stuff that nobody's asking? Like The worst thing in the world would be to have these amazing theologians writing books and theses and, and unpacking scripture answering questions that somebody who's living out their discipleship is not actually asking. Mm-hmm. Like, we need those theologians that can help us understand the Trinity and all the yeah, stuff that's not a daily question. But we also need to ask, like, really granular questions about what about wholeness and healing and suffering? And what about the environment? And what about my use of plastic? And, mm-hmm. you know, what, how does this actually hit the road? So I think, I think asking the right questions is your great intelligence. But do you ever have that thing where you sit with someone and you just feel a bit thick? Like genuinely, like yeah. I sat. I sat with. I'm not going to name drop, but I sat yeah. with a, a, a well-known youth ministry professor uh, in the states recently, and he was talking about secularism yeah. and stuff to me, and I could not keep up. Couldn't I couldn't follow what he was talking about, and he's super clever, and I just mm. thought, oh, there's mm. like a level of clever mm. that's not just above mine. It's out of my reach. I can't get to it. Is it clever? Is it psychobabble just to be really provocative? No, it was. We can all develop quite nice psychobabble in our sphere, can't we? Yeah. That's and that's. When pe- yeah, I, I guess so. I, I but I think so. I, I just want. I'm being a little yes. bit vulnerable. There's yes. no point to this, really. No. I'm just, just saying. I wonder whether people listening sometimes feel like this as well. And what mm. what does that mean for where you go in your life and your career as well? But that's but you absolutely asked a really important question because the danger is that we make youth ministry, which actually is very simple, mm. we are in danger of making it this kind of two-tier Christianity and this cycle babble stuff up there. I have to say, I do get quite freaked out sometimes sitting listening to my amazing colleagues who do huge amounts of stuff around youth participation. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh my goodness, I know what you're saying and I know that I agree with it, but I don't really understand because I haven't got a degree in youth ministry. And, and But then you have to stop and say, bare, bare bones, you're, you're about a young person growing into their full potential mm. yeah I get that and actually maybe our job is to maybe sometimes help that stuff be condensed in a way that doesn't minimise it but makes it living yeah I, I hate people being kept out of conversations well I have a hunch stupid. I have a hunch the reason I bring this up really okay. is I have, and this isn't this isn't a slight on the um, Nomad podcast which I, you know is obviously brilliant mm. Um, but but I have a hunch that sometimes we sit there and people like me we sit there quietly and don't say anything mm. because we haven't really understood. Yeah. And uh, I guess when I when I'm communicating something, I have to always remember uh, you you're only communicating well if you're being understood. Mm. So if you're if you're saying brilliantly long words mm. and sounding really intelligent, that's great. But if the people in the audience don't mm. understand what you're trying to get across you haven't spoken yes, well yes that's awesome or awesome. written yeah, well yeah you know yeah. so when we're writing something yeah you know it's, if something's got lots of long words in it yeah that's great but if yeah. it's not understood yeah then it's badly written if it doesn't answer the so what so an example of one of the podcasts was with is it liz west you're nodding to me who writes about um ap- apathetic 
at the Enneagram. Who who was the apathetic theology? So there's one. She can't speak. To you. You're trying to get. You're trying to get producer <laughs> yeah, Rachel to thought. speak. She won't speak. So apathetic theology, and I feel, yes. oh my days, here we go. I'm about to get bored. And and, she, and this woman is so passionate about it, and she managed to describe it so simply. There was loads that she said I didn't get, but I understood the core idea. And when I asked myself, so what? I was like, actually, yes, that does land well. So apathetic theology, in a nutshell, is that God is unknowing. So you can say God is like this or God is not like that but essentially God is always beyond even the things that we know are true God mm. is love but also God is way beyond that like and and so taken to an extreme it does enter the far echelons like what have we just done it's weird but the so what is mm. God is good but even if right now I don't feel that God is good I'm, I'm not going to limit myself to the understanding that God is good I'm just saying God is God mm. God is God and if that's all I can say right now that's okay and I think the answering the so what is really important I think Nomad do that well actually with their interviews because they don't ask mm. they ask very simple questions mm-hmm. to very clever guests and that's what we do Martin well I understand we everything you just said simple questions and in fact it would be fair to say yes, I've darling. never not understood anything you've said really I feel like I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. always waffly, always waffly, very waffly. clear what do we need to tell our lovely listeners about come on well what's the stuff um, I want to tell you about stuff. a conference a day conference that's oh, happening what's he, what's at he? Youthscape Towers in Luton on uh, Friday from Monday the sec- <laughs> whatever the day of the week it is <laughs> do you understand I've tried business? to throw a day of the week in there and I don't know what day of the week let's on. make it a real day bear of the with week. me hang on I've got the iPhone out it's we know the date it's in September it's okay. the 2nd of September. It's very early. And it is a Monday. Monday, the 2nd of September. Should we do a second take on that? Or should no, we? No, I no think we're going to just go with, with that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Monday, the 2nd of September, as I always said, uh, it's the uh, Schools Work UK conference. Old ground, new rules. I like that's clever, oh, isn't it? That's lovely. Old ground, new rules. Uh, and it's for anybody involved in ministry in or to schools mm. um, and uh, particularly secondary schools I mm-hmm. think yep. and so uh, there's a very limited number of places because it's here in the building it's £25 which is an absolute bargain and speakers include uh, Pete Baker who we love nicest mm. man youth ministry oh he Just is one more time. Oh, I nice love you Pete man. Baker you're awesome oh Pete Baker he's my friendship crush yes <laughs> Phil Togwell nicest man in prayer ministry uh, he is uh, from 24-7 and uh, uh, press-based in schools yes, and that whole network. Really Basically, a whole lot of prayer. Yes. Phil Togwell. And then our own Jemima yeah. Woodbridge. Homegrown in this old ground. Yes. Uh, so we've got uh, Jemima that. as well. She won't love that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so come to that um, on uh, the 2nd, the Monday, the 2nd of September. Old Grand New Rules. You can find out more about it on the Youthscape website, youthscape.co.uk slash store. And I, before we go, we've got a few shout-outs, have we? Yeah. Yes. And uh, I would like you to think of the longest word that you can think of. And we're going to end the podcast with you having a nice long word. You can mush words together, that's fine. Do you know, I had a little moment there. I'm, carry on, yes. but yes. I had a moment, my brain just went, oh, you could do that, the name of the longest railway station in Wales and I, for a moment I thought I knew it but oh, then of course I, I, I realised I don't know it but you would have you'd have, had well, I not kept talking you'd have launched into some kind of go 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 wouldn't you and that's all that's all anyone knows the go 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 I know right sorry anyway, we're going to do the so shout out shout outs Natalie Jones and this might be for the last time Natalie you're awesome in Harrogate Jim awesome Page. in Harrogate and anywhere else you go Jim Page, Warmouth, and Helen Wollstonecroft from Harrow. And we're going to leave this podcast with ringing in our ears the longest word that Martin knows. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. 
I, I tend to be a little, bit, a little bit meta, a little bit big picture. <laughs> oh no, we love that. We love that.